Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Michelle Yu, uh, CEO and co-founder of Supercritical. Welcome, Michelle. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. As a, uh, you know, a little bit hot this week, London, UK has been melting. Europe has been melting. I think some, uh, some crazy temperatures being recorded. I think I'm slightly fortunate that living in Ramsgate, which probably most people don't know where that is, but it's a, a southeast UK coast. We've got a bit of sea, you know, air, sea air breeze, and it's been about 10 degrees cooler than it has in London. So I, I didn't yeah. melt too much, but I, I imagine the last couple of days have been pretty hot for you. Yeah, it's been brutal in London, but hopefully it's a, a wake up call to everyone around the seriousness of climate change. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we've seen obviously little bits of news. I mean, we can see what's happening, you know, across Europe. But when people start saying, well, this might become a common occurrence, right? And, you know, that's not something that people, it's not enjoyable and it's uh, going to cause a lot of problems. Um, so, um, Michelle, first time on the podcast, and uh, it's great to have you on. Tell our listeners and our, our viewers, uh, who is Michelle Yu? I am the co-founder and CEO of Supercritical. We're a software platform that helps tech companies get to net zero. We automate the process of measuring a company's carbon emissions. So everything you do as a business, upstream in your value chain, like your cloud usage and downstream in your, in your business travel and product usage emits carbon dioxide. And we help businesses understand what their carbon emissions are. We help them with a reduction plan around what the actionable things are they can do to limit their carbon emissions. And at the end, we also sell high quality carbon removal offsets, which are these early stage technologies that actually absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and sequester them somehow. So you might have seen that Stripe, Shopify, Microsoft have been buying these technologies. The best example is probably direct air capture, which is a stack of fans that absorbs the carbon dioxide. And it's a very important part of the, the climate fight. Very cool. Great to see you know what what you're building what supercritical does and and what about you in in terms of you as a person like a little bit of like background first time entrepreneur yeah. second time entrepreneur uh, i think you've been in the world of vc before and you, yeah let me yeah. show you a little bit about sure so yeah i'm a second time founder um in 2007 i started a business called songkick which actually has nothing to do with climate change or SaaS. it's a consumer internet company we we're a, a live music discovery app. So we would look at your Spotify library and notify you when any of your favorite bands came to your city and sell you the ticket at the end of it. I, we were part of YC, invested in by Index and Sequoia. And in 2016, I exited the business to Warner Music. And by the time I left, we were doing 20 million monthly uniques and 100 million in gross ticketing transaction volume in, in our app and our website. After leaving Songkick, I took time off to travel the world and backpack. I spent a lot of time outdoors. I fell in love with, you know, outdoor stuff like hiking and surfing and climbing. And that really was my entry point into caring about the environment and climate change. Um, and I, I then decided that I wanted to do, you know, I kind of woke up to the climate crisis quite late in my life and got really scared. I was like, oh man, this is a big problem. What can I do? I think there's a lot of founders of my vintage that exited their first business and now are moving into climate. Um, but, you know, starting from really very little knowledge, I decided I needed a lot of time to learn, like, what is climate change? And what can I do as a consumer internet founder? You know, I built a mobile app that 20 million people used. I'm not quite sure what I can do about it. 
So I joined Local Globe, which is a seed stage VC fund here in London. The founder, Saul, was one of Songkick's first angel investors, who's just been a great friend of mine. And I spent two years really just investing in climate tech companies, but taking the time to learn, meet a lot of smart people, read a lot of books, and get my head around what it is that I could do about the problem. And it was really when Saul, the founder, tasked me with getting the fund to net zero that I kind of came up with the idea of supercritical. So he said, you know, LPs are asking us all these ESG questions. We really care about this. You go figure this out. And I found that process incredibly frustrating. I spoke to loads of consultants. I read every acronym guidebook that there is. And I just thought, I'm a really motivated person. I'd like to believe I'm quite intelligent. I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. And I knew from my time in consumer internet, if you don't make it really easy to act, people just won't because there's too much friction. So I started Supercritical to help tech companies and VC funds understand what it is to get to net zero and help them do that and kind of be their outsourced sustainability expert and hold their hand and, and speak to them like a human because so much of this is communication and, and bad kind of communication from the, I think, climate activists really. And what sort of data can you share about Supercritical? And so from launch to now, you know, again, giving the audience a bit of a picture, you know, of the company, you know, size yeah, of the company, so we, how much you raise, et cetera. Yeah. yeah so we started in, in 2021. Um, we raised a two million pound seed round or pre-seed round, if you like, back then. One of the, the I guess, the things I'm really proud of is that we raised from 50% women in our cap table. That was a really important goal of mine starting out. I think my experience personally as an angel investor and working in VC just I just wanted to do my part to try to change that that metric and that ratio. So half of our angel investors are women, and they're incredible. Since um, since founding, we've worked with some amazing UK tech unicorns, companies like Zigo, Tractable, Infarm, Many Pets, um, loads and loads of companies. Um, and we've been really encouraged by how much demand there is from the tech sector. And, you know, a lot of a lot of times people ask, why did you start with tech? Why not with a more heavy emitting industry? But actually, one of the little known facts is that as an entire sector, tech emits more than aviation. So when you include all the hardware, cloud computing, data processing, streaming, we emit about, you know, two to 3% of global emissions, which is about as much as global aviation. So we do have a responsibility to act. And we have the, you know, the means to act, you know, I'd like to believe. And one of the most interesting things I've learned in this process is this is really being driven from within by talent. So most of the companies choose to work with us because their team are asking them really tough questions about, we just flew everyone to Mexico for an offsite. What are we doing about that? You know, this is really bad. And so that's been really, really encouraging. And I've only seen that grown since, since launching. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, uh, in, in tech, if you think about everything that's needed, all the computing power, et cetera, and that contribution in the negative way. And especially you read a lot about like this, well, specifically we have Web 2, but Web 3 and the energy that's kind of yeah. required to run, you know, crypto and Web 3, that there, there are a lot of like challenges uh, there for sure. So, uh, you know, definitely things that need to be kind of offsetted as well. If, you, if we're looking at that's the way, you know, technology is going that way through the blockchain. Prior to Supercritical, so you mentioned Songkick, and, and so we were looking like, you know, getting a, some lessons from your experience. So this was like a nine-year journey with, uh, uh, with Songkick, and obviously yeah. en ended, um, you know, happily with that exit to, uh, to Warner Music Group. 
But tell us, like, why, I mean, like, nine years is obviously a good time. I think if we look at, like, the founder journey, like, often, like, seven to ten years, you, you know, is, is a time frame that people say, like, you know, looking at, mm. you know, for an exit, both for the founder, for the shareholders. Why did you decide to sell when you did? I guess is my kind of first question. Sure. So I, I left the business before the sale was complete, but that was kind of already in motion. Honestly, so we ended up selling the company to, to Warner Music, but we also ended up suing Ticketmaster for antitrust violations in California. So, you know, antitrust and, and big tech is such a thing now, but back in 2016, it wasn't quite as big of a thing. And Ticketmaster is a monopoly. So in the live music sector, they own the entire value chain. And we found that the bigger we got and the more successful we were, um, it was really when we ticketed Adele's World Tour, they started clamping down on our business and really engaging in just things that were not pleasant. So we, we kind of ha knew it was, that was the natural end point of the business, like in a, in a sector with an entrenched monopoly, we just knew we couldn't grow. And so an exit was the right natural home for it. We didn't start the business to exit. We really wanted to go independent, but it was like kind of the right natural end for the company. And the company within Warner Music is still going. The app is still used. I get messaged by people who still like, kind of love going to gigs and using it, but that was just the right, right, Thing to do for the company at the time no uh, makes sense and uh, in terms of the the exit itself you know were sometimes you know founders they're, they're sort of you know, interested in these questions but in terms of the the, the cash and the equ equity split you know was it an all cash kind of deal was it you know 50 50 anything that you can share around that i know sometimes yeah there, i don't know, really talk about NBA, the details but... of it yeah Okay. Sorry. No, no, fair, uh, fair enough. But given that it was a nine-year journey, right, and I think you've written about this, that there were, you know, uh, ups and downs. There always are, right, with any business, right? And there are uh, mistakes and failures, I think, was uh, the wording I saw on uh, a LinkedIn post or a post that's on your LinkedIn <laughs> that kind of uh, refers to that. Can you share maybe some of the biggest mistakes, you know, and failures that you had during that time and what you learned from them? Yeah, absolutely. I took a lot of time before starting Supercritical to kind of reflect on what I feel like I learned and what I wanted to do differently. I think there's so many things you learn just by being a founder for the first time, especially being a manager for the first time. So how to hire and fire and manage people, how to build an effective team, how to set goals. These are kind of bread and butter, like running an effective company stuff. But I think personally for me, it was a it, the biggest learning was around work-life balance, you know, with Songkick. I really never prioritized my personal life over the company. So I just worked a lot. I didn't see my family. I didn't prioritize my personal relationships. And I don't feel like that trade-off was worth it in the end and was super critical. It's very different because I had a child in between. So it's very different constraints and commitments that I have. And I think one of the things I had to work through personally was, can I, do I feel like I can be the mother I want to be and found a company? Cause I know how much time it takes. I know how much, how all in it needs to be. And so setting my own personal boundaries around work and what things I don't want to compromise on, I think was really, really important. But I think the the company building stuff I learned, like the biggest one I think was just like how to run a proper discovery process, like how to test ideas out, how to get feedback quickly before you invest in something and and honing that over nine years at Songkick has been, even though consumer and I would say consumer and B2B is very, very different in terms of the organization and the product you build, that core discovery skill set has been really invaluable. So from the, I mean, building on that, something that you've learned, discovery skill set, like, would you count that as maybe some of the biggest lessons and learnings and 
maybe even wins like during that time like what what can you share uh, perhaps the things that maybe you you implemented that actually really moved the dial for for Songkick yeah so the discovery skill set i would say is just kind of the most hard one skill i've learned and when i started songkick you know lean product wasn't a thing because it was 2007 test and learn now this stuff is very in the in the language and everyone understands it but we built a product for 2 years without getting any feedback doing any user testing dreaming up what we thought was going to be amazing and launched it and nobody came and i think that was really really tough and once we started getting user feedback we got so much learnings around well nobody wants to use this cuz it's terribly designed and it's not actually what people want you know yc's motto is make something people want, but we didn't really internalize what that meant. We made what we wanted, right? And now with Supercritical, I don't, you know, we we try to get feedback on ideas as quickly as possible. And it is a lot harder with B2B, I would say. So with a consumer, we had, we could just run an A-B test and within an hour, we'd have results, right? You can't quite do that in the same way, but I think learning what tools you have at your disposal to get that feedback, whether that's running anonymous LinkedIn ads or whatever it is to get some feedback, like we we really try to do that before we invest in something and put a lot of long-term team effort into an idea. It's definitely a great lesson to share there and, you know, the importance of speaking to your customers and building something that they want. Uh, and as you say, not uh, building something that, that you want and, and, you know, the amount of times that founders do it, certainly first time founders do that. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest reasons, uh, you know, aside from, Cash flow that that the the uh, let's say early stage uh, startups and B two B startups uh, fail uh, certainly that I, I see. Mm. Aside from let's say feedback, like what would you do differently, knowing what you know now? You know, if you were to kind of like start Song Kick all over again, I don't. I haven't thought about that much. I honestly have kind of put Song Kick to bed. It's in my past and I'm really focused on Supercritical. And mm. one of the things that I, that was really important to me with Supercritical was just building an effective team and an ownership culture around responsibility um, and trying to let the team do their best work as long as I've set the right context for them. And so that's something that I really work hard on is setting the right goals. You know, we, we just went through our Q3 OKR setting exercise. And I feel like my job is to set the scene, set the context and the goals, and then it's up to the hiring smart and talented people and making sure they work well together, but then it's up to them to hit those goals. Um, so that's something that I feel like I learned through my time at Songkick and I'm trying to do at Supercritical. I think one thing that we always did at Songkick and it, it's borne out at Supercritical as well is just building a mission-driven culture. You know, we're really lucky to work in a, in a sector that people just care passionately about, you know, climate change, that it's just so topical and, and people feel really worried about it. And being able to work at a company where every day you wake up and you know you're having impact is is just, it's just so magical as, you know, a hiring trick that we have, if you like. I mean, and communicating that message to the team every day, like why this is important, what what we're trying to do here in the world, what impact we're trying to have. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely it must be an advantage for you when hiring, given it's such an important you know, thing that pretty much everybody, like, I mean, like almost everybody, let's say, you, yeah. you know, kind of cares about, right? And, and cares about passionately. Whereas if you look at like many B2B SaaS companies that are quite often like unsexy in some ways that, you know, to get mission-driven people that care about, I don't know, mm. like, you know, an accounting process or something like that, you know, could perhaps be quite difficult. Uh, is that something, do you find then, like given in terms of what you do, and like, do you have to repeat that 
that often, whether it's you know daily, weekly, or, you know around the mission and what you're doing, you know as a business, or given that you know I, mean, I guess you're hiring people that are you know uh, very keen to support this particular mission, that it's not something that actually you need to really you know really kind of drive in the mission and the purpose on such a regular basis. So how do, how do you manage that? Yeah, I think for us it's actually really easy because our north star metric is the tons of carbon we're responsible for removing from the atmosphere that is you know how much carbon removal are we selling and the kind of background context to that is carbon removal as a as a sector is very very nascent so we need to remove 10 billion tons of carbon annually by 2050 in order to stay below 1.5 degrees of warming so this is what the UN body of scientists the IPCC has modeled out so even if we electrify everything change to renewables decarbonize we still have emitted so much that we have to remove 10 billion tons annually. And to, to date, so that's by 2050, we have to scale up to that, to that volume. To date, we've only sold about, globally, we've only removed about 500,000 tons. So there's this urgent scaling challenge to get from 500,000 to 10 billion. And no one's really <laughs> working on how do we do that? This is re a really scary scaling challenge. That's 39% growth year on year for the next 30 years. This is this industry, what I tell my teams, this industry is where Amazon was back in 1996. It needs to see that same level of explosive growth over the next 30 years. Um, and so what we track every day, every month, every quarter is how many tons of carbon did we remove? And our, you know, what we do is we, we source these early stage suppliers, kind of vet them, take on the risk, and then make them available to buyers where the typical supplier would only sell to the Microsoft of the world. They won't sell to a 500 person tech company because they're just too small. And by aggregating demand across our customer base and our marketplace, we can give them access to these same early stage carbon removal suppliers that Microsoft and Stripe and Shopify are buying. And that, that's the mission, right? But we track how many tons of carbon we sell and that's very aligned with impact, which is really clear. So I don't have to drill it in. It's just a metric we track. Obviously we also track revenue and, other other revenue related metrics but that's the key north star one and that's the one that i really measure our success by so it's pretty pretty straightforward for the team to see that every day moving from so your experience in b2c to now b2b and leading a b2b SaaS company over the last two years what would you say you you know you've learned running and leading a b2b SaaS company compared to you know previous time around yeah, that's a really great question. And actually, one of the things that I've most enjoyed, I love learning new things. And I've loved, you know, I, I sold to the first however many 20, 30 companies myself, you know, I had to learn how to do sales. It was hard. Um, I'm an introvert. But one of the things I found really interesting is that I ran product at Songkick, right? So I, I oversaw the product and design team. And one of my most favorite things was to do user research where you sit down with one on one interviews. And I find the process of sales not dissimilar to that. You're really trying to understand the customer's motivations, their needs, what problems they have, and then you figure out how you're going to solve that problem for them, right? And that's the same process of asking open-ended questions, really listening, being empathetic, and being kind of quite brutal around, can we solve this problem for them or not? Are we doing a good job of this or not? Um, so I found that really interesting, and I love talking to customers. I think, you know, that's where the real impact is happening, is each individual customer deciding to do something here and and work with us. So... I found that really similar, like user research and sales is not that far away, even though I wouldn't have thought that until I started doing it. And it's, it's been really, yeah, it's been really great. And I think that the, for the consumer marketing is quite scalable, you know, you kind of 
know where you want to reach your audiences and you kind of have these scalable ways of reaching them through ads or partnerships or whatever. Whereas sales is more of a high touch, like human led approach. Like you try to do as much scalable as possible, but at the end of the day, it's a person talking to another person and explaining, explaining the product. So that's been a shift in a difference, but I really enjoyed it. Like I find it fascinating to, to learn this and it's, it's really rewarding because every deal you, it's like, there's no highlight closing a deal, right? <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. How do you acquire the customers? Like what's your go-to-market model, you know, how they, are they coming to you or, you, you know, the outreach, et cetera? What, what is it? Yeah. So th- there's a, a bunch of outreach. We just, our, our first marketing hire is joining. So, so far marketing has been me. Probably the most impactful thing we've done so far is there's an organization here in the UK called Tech Zero. It's a volunteer-led organization where a bunch of tech companies have committed to getting to net zero emissions. So it was started by I think the founding members were Bulb, Wise, Revolut, you know, some of the biggest iconic tech unicorns. And they started actually around the same time Supercritical started. So when when I learned about this organization, I was like, this is amazing. How can I help? How can I support? So we're their sustainability partner. We've helped them write their guidance around what does a net zero plan look like? And we've done a partnership with them where we, any new member that signs up, we offered a discount and said, like, if you want to get to net zero, measure your carbon emissions you know, come up with this plan, we can help you do that. And here's your discount. And, you know, it's really about finding this self-selected group of people who are likely to want to use what you're, you're, what you're selling, right? And there's a lot of ways of finding that from external indicators, but that was probably the most impactful thing that we've done is that, is that partnership with Tech Zero. You, you mentioned um, the, the pre-seed round, so you raised $2 million from uh, Local Globe. And for, I guess for those that are listening that are, you, you know, thinking about raising or they're, they're at that kind of pre-seed stage, how does one, uh, like, what, what do you spend two million, you know, on at the pre-seed stage to kind of get you then, you know, I guess to the next stage, the way you need to be? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it's all about talent and team, right? So who are you hiring? That That money is best spent on hiring an amazing team and Aaron, my co-founder, uh, was the CTO at Songkick, and he's hired so many people in his time. He's much more experienced hiring manager than me. So we've been really careful about the team we hire and making sure we have the right culture in place. Other than that, it's about building the product, um, you know, whatever kind of go-to-market cost there might be. And for us, we specifically have working capital around buying the offsets and selling it to our customers. So we, we're, we effectively own the offsets before we sell it in the marketplace. So that's, that's something we spend the money on as well. But I would say the lion's share is talent and making sure that we have the right people in place. And in, in terms of like the, the, the pre-seed like timelines, you know, do investors say, well, you've got 18 months to, to spend this. And you, is there an expectation set with that? Or um, how, how, how does that go? No, I mean, I think I'm probably really lucky that I worked at Local Globe before I fundraised from them. So I really knew them well. And, and to me, it was most about, mostly about finding the right partner who understood our vision and was going to be a real ally and, and kind of support system to us in our journey. And I've been really lucky. I think, you know, Remus is the partner that sits in our, we don't have a formal board, but he's, you know, he's my investment partner. He's been incredible and in giving like me like patient advice there. I think, from my time at Songkick, I wasn't the CEO, so I didn't 
own those investor relationships, but I really saw the benefit of having board members and investors who really understood your vision and, and you'd be able to find different support from. Um, from my cap table, you know, I've got 24 angel investors, like Tobit, founder of Wise, Peter Reinhardt, the founder of Segment and Charm, um, Alice, the founder of EF. I know what to ask them for when I need to ask them for help or advice or recommendations or referrals. And I think it's about using your your cap table kind of effectively and, and knowing who can help you with what. But I haven't, you know, I feel like I've got a real partner in Local Globe and they're going to be there with me through thick and through thin and are really supportive. So there haven't been these hard deadlines or expectations and there's just that open dialogue. Because in pre-seed, there's, it's so early, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. Even three months from now, like so much changes and so much you get wrong because you don't have that, you know, data of years and years of operating. Definitely. And thinking about like, in nine years time given i mean just as a reference point because uh, the song kick journey was nine years yeah but um where what sort of outcome are you looking for for super critical like you know where do you want to be in nine years time yeah our i mean our core mission is to scale these carbon removal technologies you know i think my wake-up call was an understanding okay we have to get from five hundred thousand tons of carbon removed from the atmosphere to 10 billion like that's insane how are we going to do that and super critical is our best, you know, hypothesis as to how we can contribute to that. So I want to see a, you know, I want to see like at least half a gigaton, which is half a billion tons of carbon removed through, through the supercritical platform. We've got a lot of vision around how we can help scale the supply side that, you know, we, we, we work on every day. Um, but it's really about having impact and carbon removal and helping it scale. And that's kind of from day one, always been our, our kind of North Star vision. You're, you're speaking at, SASOC 2022 in this October in Dublin. So great to obviously be back in person and uh, to have you come over. Do you know yet what you'll be speaking about? Uh, and, and also, like, uh, what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'll be speaking about kind of what it's like to be a second time founder and start a SaaS company and what my learnings have been from Songkick and what I think translates from consumer and doesn't. But I'm just looking forward to meeting other SaaS founders. You know, I'm new to this and I've been really lucky that I have a network of other SaaS founders that help and give advice, but meeting others, you know, just, I remember I sat down with the CEO of another SaaS company at Web Summit. I just asked him like, how do you comp your sales team? What did you get wrong in the first year? Cause it's so early and just the nuts and bolts of how to run an effective SaaS company. I'd love to just learn and learn from my peers there. Yeah. No, I mean, there's nothing better than peer to peer support. Yeah. Uh, certainly it's very difficult to kind of figure everything out, you know, on your own, even though I mean, whilst you, you have a great set of investors there that, you know, I think many of them have been, you know, practitioners and running, you know, uh, uh, great businesses, but that ability to just sit with your peers that are kind of either at the same stage as you or a little bit ahead in uh, sometimes uh, just to kind of, you know, pick their brains and swap notes, uh, et cetera, yeah. is, uh, is very valuable. So, uh, but yeah, looking forward to seeing you in Dublin this October. Where can people find you online, Michelle, and Supercritical? Uh, we are www.gosupercritical.com. If anybody is interested in learning about sustainability or what they might be thinking about at their company, email me. I'm michelle at gosupercritical.com. I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet very much. I'm wreckingball37 on Twitter. Okay. Uh, any story behind the name Wrecking Ball 37? Oh God, it's so embarrassing. I mean, I, I didn't believe Twitter was a thing and it was the name of a song from a band I liked back then. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Good stuff. Well, Michelle, you 
thank you so much for uh, speaking to the SaaS community and being on the SaaS Revolution show today. Thanks so much, Alex.